If you open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament minor prophet of Habakkuk. Um, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So right after Nahum, it's Habakkuk. Now I know that all of you are ready to get up and jump up and down because I'm preaching from one of the minor prophets this morning. I know that all of you, when you're doing your Bible study, when you come to the minor prophets, you think, boy, this is the most exciting time of as far as Bible reading. And, uh, and I know some of you are saying, oh boy, this is going to be boring. Well, it is sometime, it does sometimes seem boring when you start reading the minor prophets, when you start reading the prophets, period, in the Old Testament. Uh, part of the reason that that is true is because it's always, they're always talking specifically about prophecies that relate to the nation of Israel. Israel's God's people. We don't fit that description. We are God's children, but we are not like the nation of Israel. God dealt with Israel in a very specific way. But some of the principles that we find in the the minor prophets are applicable to us today. And especially in the situation that we find ourselves in right now with our, our, our society the way it is. Habakkuk lived in a society that was very similar to the one in which we live. Uh, it was a society that did not have a great deal of concern for what God wanted. Uh, the nation of Israel at that time was not serving the Lord faithfully. They were living based on their fleshly desires. Uh, they were being driven by their flesh, and they were seeking things to fulfill uh, those fleshly desires. Now, Habakkuk is unusual for a number of reasons. Uh, It's not like all the other prophets. Most of the time, a prophet got a message from God that usually was a message of judgment, and then his responsibility was to communicate that message to the people. Generally, it was going to be Israel. But Habakkuk does not get his message. God doesn't come to him and say, Habakkuk, I've got a a message I want you to give to my people. Habakkuk approaches God. He asks God questions, and God responds to him. Um, Other prophets declare God's judgment on a nation. Habakkuk expresses his concern for the, the fact that God has not judged the people of Israel. And in other situations... The prophets have a discourse with the people to whom God has given them responsibility for delivering the message. Nowhere in the book of Habakkuk will you find Habakkuk ever addressing a human audience. The book of Habakkuk is a conversation that Habakkuk has with God. And Habakkuk initiates the conversation. This is not God saying, Habakkuk, I've got something I want you to tell people. This is Habakkuk saying, God, I've got a concern, and I want to talk to you about it. Um, It's different in the sense that there are two people involved only, and that is God and Habakkuk. 
there are two groups of people involved. That's Israel and the Chaldeans, and we'll see that in a moment. And Habakkuk prays two prayers, the second very different from the first. And what happens in between is what changes the prayer that Habakkuk prays. I want you to notice, beginning in verse number one, we're going to go through the entire book. Uh, we're not going to uh, uh, belabor it, but I, but I do want you to see a number of things. Only three chapters long, so they're just I've just got three main points, all determined by the chapters. But in chapter one, we see the concern of the prophet. And I want you to look in, in Habakkuk chapter one and verse one. Notice it says the burden which the which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So this whole thing starts because Habakkuk is looking around in Israel and he sees this going on, he sees this going on, he sees this going on, all kinds of, of wickedness going on, and Habakkuk has a burden because of that. He says, This not this ought not to be. This these are God's people. They ought to be paying attention to what God says, but they're not. But he has another concern. It's not just the, 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 the wickedness of the people. He has a concern over the fact that God is not judging them for their wickedness. Notice in verse number 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee out of violence, and, wilt thou not, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance, for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. You understand what Habakkuk is saying? So everywhere I look, you, you, you let me see this, and you see this, you see this. There's all kinds of violence, there's all kinds of iniquity. There's, there's spoiling going on. There's all kinds of things going on. The problem is the people who are doing it are not being held accountable. There's no judgment taking place. In fact, what they're doing seems to go unpunished completely. It's not just that, that, uh, that the, the, the government's not doing anything, but, but Lord, you're not doing anything. How come you're just letting this continue the way it is? He's concerned about God's delay of judgment and then God speaks and he shows concern about God's description of judgment that God says is coming. So, so, so back up praise and says, Lord, this is, this is all, all this wickedness going on. How come there's no judgment? Aren't you, aren't you supposed to take care of this? Shouldn't you be dealing with these people? And the Lord answers beginning in verse number five. Behold ye among the heathen. Habakkuk, take, take notice of your place among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Now, if you had the Lord say something like that to you after you prayed about the wickedness in our society, what would you think? My first reaction would be, oh man, this is going to be wonderful. The Lord's going to do a wondrous thing. It's going to be a mighty thing, and it's, it's going to be beyond anything that we could ever imagine. That's what God says, and we would be excited about it. I've actually heard messages preached 
where the preacher says the Lord's going to bring a great revival and everything's going to change and everything's going to be just so wonderful. And, he, and they use this verse. says, Wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days that you will not believe, though it be told you. But then if you go on and read what the work is, your attitude's going to change. Look at what it says, verse number 6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every strong stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over to Finn, interrupting this, his power unto his God. God says, okay, Habakkuk, you just need to pay careful attention to what I'm saying, because it just hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. I'm going to judge Israel, and I'm going to use the Chaldeans to do it. In fact, what it, what it ends up being is that God chooses to send the children of Israel into captivity and their captors are going to be the Chaldeans. Well, what was Habakkuk's response to that? That sounds like he's getting what he wanted, right? He said, Lord, how come you haven't judged the people of Israel? And God says, okay, I'm going to judge them. This is what's going to happen. But notice Habakkuk's response. He's not, not, only, not only concerned about God delaying his judgment, he's concerned about what he finds out now is how God's going to do it, God's description of judgment. Look at verse number 12. He says to the Lord, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? And then he says, We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. Who is them? That's the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are worse than the, the Israelites are. They deserve judgment more than, more than the Israelites do. He says, and Almighty oh God, thou hast established them for correction. Talking about the Chaldeans. Verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Thou canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? All of a sudden, the people that Habakkuk is complaining about, the Israelites, he says they're more righteous than the Chaldeans. How is it you're going to use the Chaldeans, the, the ones who are far more wicked than the, the ones they're judging? How, why would you do that? I want, I want you to judge Israel, but, but not use people that are more wicked than Israel is. Look at verse number 14. And makest men as the flashes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. 
Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nation? Said, Lord, Lord, surely you're not going to do that. I mean, yes, judge Israel. But don't use the Chaldeans to judge it, judge them. Don't, don't use their bitter enemy. You know, that's like saying, uh, uh, I've got a friend who's done some things that, that, that he shouldn't do. And, uh, and Lord, you need to, you need to deal with him and get that thing taken care of. That's, that's the, and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to take his most bitter enemy and I'm going to give him victory over this guy. Well, now wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> that's not what I meant. You know, sometimes we want God to do certain things, and then when God says, okay, I'm going to do it, this way, they're going to, way I'm going to do it, we're not so excited that we prayed for God to do what he's going to do. We have a, have a tendency to pray from a perspective of, God, I want you not only to do this, but I want you to do it this way. In other words, do it what I want you to do, but do it the way I want you to do it. I don't want you to, to go outside and do it a different way that's going to cause more trouble. We have a tendency to want to ask God to do something and then judge him for not doing it the way we want him to do it. That, in essence, is what Habakkuk was doing. He said, Lord, I want you to take care of Israel but not by using their bitterest enemy to, to, to bring them into slavery. The concern of the prophet. Secondly, consider the comprehension of the prophet. We find that in chapter 2. Look at the beginning of, of, verse, of chapter 2, verse number 1. Habakkuk is still speaking, and he says this. He said, I'll stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. He's convinced God is going to listen to what he says now. And what he says is, Lord, judge Israel, but not the way you're thinking about it. I mean, surely I've made some sense. Judge Israel, but let it come from you, not from the Chaldeans. Surely the Lord's going to respond to that. He's, he's, going, to, he's going to do what I'm asking him to do. So I'm, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to see what God says to me. I'm, I'm, I know he's going to answer me. I'm going to see what he says. And the Lord did answer. Look at verse number 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tab tables that he may run that readeth it. Well, that's, uh, that's another very sobering statement. Okay, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you a vision. Here's your responsibility. Write it down. Make sure you get everything I say and make sure you make it plain so that when somebody looks at it and reads it, it'll cause them to run. In other words, God, God says, I'm going to give you a clear message for you to write down and you better do it right and it's going to, it's going to cause people to be scared. They're going to be afraid. Verse number 7, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You're, you're, you're complaining to me because I've waited. Well, it's coming. Don't, don't get impatient. It's coming. But when it gets here, you're not going to be real excited about it. Verse number 4, 
And here's, here's the kind of the, the, the core of the message of the book of Habakkuk. And this is what is so important for us to remember today. Notice in verse number 4 of chapter 2, the Lord says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. First part of the verse, the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. In spite of the fact that Habakkuk was seeing the evil that Israel was doing, and realize that they deserve judgment. He's thinking to himself, I've got a better idea about how it should be done than God does. And then the Lord says, instead of having that kind of an attitude like you know more, whatever, said, instead the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Now there are two, two types of people represented in that statement. The just shall live by his faith. First is those that are sinners who are not just, and the second is those who are saints who are just. Sinners and saints. The just, those who are saints, shall live by their faith. Now, who is their faith in? Their faith is in the Lord. And what does it mean to live by that faith? That means that you keep the the Lord in your forethought. What he wants is most important. And I'll trust him, and I'll yield to him, and I'll respond to him in a way that's pleasing to him. The just shall live by their faith. Two types of people. Let me give you four areas of contrast between those two two types of people. First of all, there's a contrast in their standing. The sinner is condemned while the saint is converted. The sinner doesn't know the Lord. The saint is, is a child of God. Not only in their standing is there a a contrast, but in their spirit. The sinner is haughty while the saint is humble. An individual who does not know the Lord thinks they've got all the answers. They're going to do their thing, and what they they decide is what's important. And, And it's more about getting everything they want instead of being concerned about what's right or what God wants. For a saint, we know that we don't have all the answers. We know, you and I, as believers, if we've got any sense at all, we understand that God knows more than we do. And we need to be yielded to His, 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 uh, His will. Uh, sanctification. The sinner is reprobate while the saint is righteous. The saint is righteous because of what God has done for him. Not righteous in his own standing, but because he has the righteousness of Christ. God, when Jesus died on the cross and we put our faith in him, he took all of our sin upon himself and then he gave us his righteousness. And then number four, insecurity. The sinner is bound for hell while the saint is bound for heaven. The saint is the one who shall live by his faith. The just shall live by their faith. That means every morning when we get up and we start to walk, our daily walk, we walk by faith. We live by faith. We trust God for what's going to happen. 
Our society today, we don't know. Everything's uncertain. There's question marks everywhere. They abound. We don't know what's ahead. So we focus on the things we do know. And what is that? We know that God is still sovereign. God is still, all of his attributes are still there. He's still omnipresent, so he's always with us. He's still omniscient. He knows everything, the end from the beginning. He's still omnipotent, which means he has the power to accomplish his will, and he still knows what's best for each of us. And we get upset. We get, we get all bent out of shape because we're looking at circumstances. And we can't change them. And we can't fix them. And, and if, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to panic. What if, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And what's, what's going to happen to us? I look at it, and I mentioned Wednesday night. I've got kids and grandkids. I, I, I feel bad about what's liable to be they're, they're going to have to deal with. But for a believer, if we're living by our faith, that means that God's going to be in control when they're alive and dealing with it all, just like he is right now. And he will care for them just as he will for us. My prayer has to be that they'll put their faith in him and then they'll walk by faith. They'll live by their faith. And all will be well. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We don't have to panic even though there's uncertainty. The just shall live by their faith. And then we see the content of the vision. What is it that that God is is showing him? It begins in verse number 5. He says, Yea, also, because he transgresseth, transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. This is talking about the Chaldeans. And we see, first of all, their injustice. And we're not going to spend time going through each one of these in depth. But uh, but uh, 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 let's see here. Uh, verse number 6. Shall not all these take up a parable? against him and a taunting proverb against him and say woe unto him that increaseth increaseth that which is not his that is not his how long unto him that uh ladeth himself with thick clay he he takes up that which is not his in other words he's a thief the chaldeans are thieves they take that which is not theirs they do so unjustly it's because they want it and they have the power so they take it There is no justice with them. They don't look at it and say, well, this is the fair thing to do. This is the just thing to do. They say, this is what we want to do. This is, and we've got the power, so we're going to do it. That's their attitude, their injustice. Secondly, verses 9 through 11, we see their insatiability. It's, look look at verse number 9. It says, woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house that he may set his nest on high, and that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. They they want it, and they want it all. Have you seen that commercial? I think it's it's some kind of a cell phone commercial. 
and they, they quote this song. Uh, I, and, and I think it says three times, I want, we want it all. And then they say something, we want it all. And then it says something else, says, we, we want it all. Three times they say that. And then they say something else and they say, and we want it now. That's the Chaldeans. We want it all. We want it all. We want it now. And we're going to take it. Insatiability. Nothing, nothing can satisfy the, the overwhelming desire that they have. And then in verses 12 through 14, we see their insensitivity. Look at verse number 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. They're unjust. They'll take what's not theirs. They want it all, and they're not going to be satisfied even if they get it all. And number three, it doesn't matter the cost. They're insensitive. It doesn't matter. Woe unto him that buildeth a town with blood. It doesn't matter how much blood we have to shed. It doesn't matter how much pain we have to inflict. It doesn't matter how much harm we do. All that matters is that we get what we want. And I don't care if you're going to hurt as a result of it. That's the Chaldeans' attitude. Remember, this prophecy has to do with Israel's judgment. The Chaldeans are the ones that could be doing it. And God says, this is what they're going to suffer. People who say, I don't care whether it's fair or not, I'm doing it. It doesn't matter whether you get some or not. I want it all and I'm taking it right now. And I don't care how much I have to do to hurt you in the process. I'm going to get it. And then in verses 15 through 17, it talks about their immorality. Notice in verse 15, it says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, and that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. It goes on to talk about their immorality. Things that they would do and, and, and the wickedness that is in, involved in that. Again, satisfying the desires of their flesh. And then in verses 18 through 20, we see that their idolatry is in the forefront. Look at verse 18. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and the teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Now look at this, verse 19. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. They were idolatrous. They, they, didn't, they, weren't, they weren't worshiping God. They had no concern for God at all. They had their gods, and they were gods that they made, that they put on a shelf, who if the ark had been in the room with them like Dagon, it would have fallen over, that have lost their arms, their head. They couldn't do anything about it. They're, they're gods made of wood and gold and silver, and, and they have no breath in them. You can pray to them, but it can't answer the prayer. It can't do anything to help you. You know why they like those gods? Because even though they can't help them, they also can't hurt them. They can't judge them. They can't make them do what's right. They can't they can't say to them, you're going to pay a price for what you've done. They want gods that have no authority over them. 
They have no power, but they but the but the thing they're concerned about is the authority. They want a God that has no authority over them. So they make it out of wood or they make it out of gold and silver. They put it on a stand and they pray to it. And they're fine with it not being able to do anything because it can't stop them either. The Lord says, those are the folks that are going to take over Israel. They're the ones that are going to have the authority over the people of Israel. Israel's going to pay for their sin. And these Chaldeans, who are unjust, who are unfeeling, who are, are it's impossible to satisfy them, who are, are make immorality uh, a thing to be desired, and who have gods that don't have any power. They're the ones who are going to be taking care of the people of Israel because of their sin. That would be a sobering thing to learn. God said, write it down. This is the vision I'm giving you. Write it down. Make sure it's clear so that nobody will misunderstand so that when they read it, they'll want to run. Now I want you to look at the last verse of chapter 2. Verse number 20. God says this, Remember, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Who needs to keep silence? All the earth. What does that mean? That means the people of Israel. That means the Chaldeans. And that means Habakkuk too. Habakkuk, you have no, no, no reason to question what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I've got a plan. And I'll do what I see fit to do. And I'll do it the way I choose to do it. The Lord is in His holy temple. Now, that can be either a source of comfort or it can cause a great deal of fear. For those who are trusting the Lord and who are submitted to Him and who are willing to yield completely to God's will and who understand who God is and, 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 and where His power lies and the fact that He is just and He is righteous and He is holy and He is loving, you know, the Bible doesn't only talk about his justice. It also says that he is the author of every good gift that everyone receives. Every individual, what, if, they, if they receive anything good, it comes from God. He is the one who has provided a way for you to have a relationship with him, to be reconciled to him, and to spend eternity in a place where there is no sin. He's given that to us in the form of the sacrifice of his son. So God is just, and He is righteous, and He is holy, and He does require payment for sin, but He also is loving, and He's good to those who will respond properly to Him and who have a desire to know Him. So for those who are sinners, there ought to be great fear in their hearts when they hear of this God. But for those who are saints, it ought to provide a great sense of comfort to know that he's in control and he has a plan and he's going to accomplish his will. And then we come to chapter 3 and we see the celebration of the prophet. 
And, and Habakkuk's attitude is completely changed now. You remember he started out and he says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry to thee out of violence and thou wilt not save. The Lord says, well, I'm going to take care of the children of Israel. Oh, but Lord, well, you, you want to do it that way. I mean, not the Chaldeans. I, I implore you to find some other means of doing it. He doesn't say that specifically, but that's in essence what he's doing. Lord, you're, you're, you're of, of, of thine, thine eyes are purer than eyes. Uh, thou art a purer eyes than to behold evil. Canst look on iniquity. How, how, how can you use the wicked to devour the man that is more righteous than he? How can you, how can you use somebody that's more evil to devour your people? And he was expecting the Lord to come back and say, well, you know, Habakkuk, maybe, maybe you got a point there. But that's not what happened. God came back and said, you better, you better walk by faith. Learn that I'm, I'm in control and I'm still on my throne. The Lord is in his holy temple, but all the earth keeps silent before him. And Habakkuk learned that he needed to have a different approach to God than passing judgment on what he said he was going to do. And we see the evidence of that different attitude in chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. This is his second prayer. The first prayer was, Lord, uh, how, how come I'm crying? I'm asking you to take care of this. You're not doing it. I'm having to deal with this all this time. But now, after the vision that God has given and what God has said, we see in verse number two, here's his prayer. Oh, Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. What a difference. What was the difference? What made the difference? What, what the, at the beginning, he was very bold. In verse 2 of chapter 3, at this prayer, he's much more humble. And he's much more reserved. And he said, wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> I don't need to be telling you what to do. I understand that you're in control. And, and, and I've heard what you've had to say. And it, it wrought fear in my heart. And then we see the prophet's praise. He prays and then he offers praise unto God. In verses 3 through 5, he gives praise for God's presence. Notice what he says, verse 3. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand. And there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. Sounds to me like Habakkuk had a little bit of a vision similar to what Isaiah had, or maybe what John had in the book of Revelation. In other words, he saw God as he really is. And if you get a clear vision of God, I guarantee you your boldness in praying will change to a, an attitude of submission. We pray sometimes like Habakkuk did at the beginning when we ought to be praying like Habakkuk did at the end. Notice beginning in verse number 6, we have 
Habakkuk talking about God's power. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did blow, his ways did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. That's evidence of his power. Verse 8, was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word. Thou Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy splintering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. God's power, very obvious. And then verses 13 through 15, we see God's protection. Look at verse 13. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundedst the head out of the house of the wicked by delivering the foundation unto the net. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of the village, his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me, their rejoicing, as was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and yet there shall be no herd in the stalls. Down through verse 15, dealt with God's protection. Verses 16 through 19, we read read verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 through 19, we see the prophet's proclamation. What's, What's Habakkuk's conclusion? Well, I'll read verse 16 again. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. He's saying, I understood who God is and I understand what he's doing and, and it, it caused me to be afraid. And it made it so that I understood that I can rest in the day of trouble because I know he's in control. Verse 17, though the fig tree shall not blossom in the captivity, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor, uh, the labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. That's a pretty pretty uh, sad situation, isn't it? Not very positive at all. I mean, the, the, the land's going to be barren. That's what we're going to be living in. And God brings this judgment. And though all of that is going to be happening, what is my resp- response? Verse number 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief stringer on my stringed instruments. 
Um, I taught this book along with all the other minor prophets about 17 years ago in a series that took about three years. Brian, I don't remember when it was, several years ago, a couple, three or four years ago, he taught the book of Habakkuk. And he kind of summed it all up. And I've read the three verses to you, and they fit very well the way he talked about them. And I think it really kind of sums everything up. We have verse, chapter, chapter number one where you see Habakkuk's complaint. Chapter two, the Lord said, let me remind you of something that's very important, and we find it in verse number four. The just shall live by his faith. This is how you need to approach it, Habakkuk. You need to, to live by faith. You need to trust me. Then there's something he needed to remember after he saw the vision in verse number 20, and that is the Lord is in his holy temple. You live by faith. You walk by faith. You trust me. I'm still on my throne. I'm still where I've always been. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still there. So how do you respond? You know, even though the fig tree won't blossom, even though the fruit, fruit there'll be no fruit in the vines, even though the labor of the olives shall fail, even though the field shall yield no meat, even though the flock shall be cut off from the fold, even though shall, there shall be no herd in the stalls, even though all of that is going to happen, my response, because I know two things. I, 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 first, I'm, I'm living by faith. I'm walking by faith because I believe God's there. Number two, God's still on his throne. So since that is true, even though everything goes south, nothing works the way I think it ought to, even though I don't, I don't believe every, anything's going to get any better because God is going to judge. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. How do we deal with, with what might come? We walk by faith. We remember that God's in his temple and he's in control. And we know that what he's doing is right. And we know that what he's doing is best. And I'm going to, in spite of the fact that things get barren, that things may get terrible, where, where nothing works the way I think it should, I'm still going to rejoice in my God because he is on the throne and he is in control and because I'm trusting him. And uh, by the way, you know when revival comes? It's when we realize we're supposed to walk by faith. We realize that God's in his temple. And we rejoice in whatever he chooses to do. That's really the essence of revival. It's a change that takes place in our heart. Hope you'll come back tonight. We're going we're to talk about that and, and, and relate what we studied this morning to the idea of revival and how God uses that in our lives. Let's stand together with heads bowed, eyes closed.